0: Today uh, it is my privilege to read for you the scripture for today's message. It comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. The book of Hebrews chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. This is the reading of God's word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Amen. Now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word, entitled, The Power of Hospitality. It says, uh, let brotherly love continue. Yes. yes all right. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Jimmy. Good morning. I hope you all had a very happy Thanksgiving. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's my privilege to bring us God's word this morning, and would you please join me in a word of prayer? Father God, I need your help, and we need your help. Help me to communicate your word faithfully and clearly, and we need your help. We need the Holy Spirit that he would carry these words into our hearts, into our minds, into a place where it'll grow and bear much fruit. Help us to see Jesus, why he's awesome and amazing, Help us be moved by the gospel to practice hospitality in a way that glorifies you and represents the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did a word search in the Bible, you would find that the word hospitality shows up four times, a whopping four times, which may lead you to believe that hospitality is actually not that important in Scripture. However, that could be as far from the truth as possible because... Although it's only mentioned four times, if you actually read through the Bible, you will discover that hospitality is modeled way more than it's actually mentioned, which means hospitality is a very important theme in the Bible, and I think for a lot of believers that may be lost on them. Maybe they never heard how important hospitality is and so what the author in Hebrews writes to the believers back then, I believe we still need to hear today, which is, do not neglect to show hospitality. This morning, we're going to learn what hospitality is, why we neglect it, why we shouldn't neglect it, and practical ways to live that out. The first thing is, what is hospitality? When we all hear the word hospitality, we all have a picture of what we think that means and what that looks like, and I'm going to guess that it looks like the modern-day American variety of hospitality, entertaining guests, having them over your house, um, having a nice fancy dinner, cookout in the backyard, hanging out with friends. That is not the biblical picture and the biblical understanding of hospitality. It's important that I say that and we understand that, Because if we're going to not neglect to to show hospitality, we got to make sure that we're using the same definitions. And so when we hear the word hospitality, we're like, I know that word when you see it in the Bible. However, the Bible has a different definition probably than what you are picturing and what you already have in mind. And so if we're going to be faithful to the scriptures, obedient to God, we can't read our modern-day American version of hospitality into the Bible. We need to know what does the Bible say about hospitality? What's God's picture of hospitality? Hospitality, the word here in the Greek, it's a compound word, which means you take two words and you make it into one word. And the two words that they took, the first is philo and the second is xenia meaning love of strangers. That's literally what hospitality means in the Greek, here in the Bible, here in the book of Hebrews. And so immediately we're thinking, hopefully you're thinking, whoa, that's not my understanding of hospitality. That's not usually what I picture. I would have not defined hospitality that way if somebody asked me, how would you define biblical hospitality? And in the Old Testament, this involved Inviting and welcoming strangers into your home, travelers, providing food and lodging, and not just low quality, but high quality and all at your expense. And this didn't change much even in the New Testament. Inviting strangers, foreigners, travelers into your home, caring for them, especially preachers, missionaries. And it was different. I'm sorry, it's different than what we think of what hospitality is. So the question is, what does this philozenia mean for us today? Do we have to practice it that same exact way? Do I need to open up my home to complete total strangers, let them sleep in my house? Do I have to provide them food for as long as they want? And the answer to that is no. I think that would be irresponsible, unsafe, and, and dangerous. So the exact practice of hospitality is not going to translate into our culture today. That would be foolish, but the principle still very much applies. And I want to get to the heart of this biblical hospitality, this Philozenia, which means, and the principle means that we welcome those we don't know well. We invite those on the fringes. We care for those in needs we share our material belongings at our expense, and we also share the gospel because we know at the end of the day that is what people need the most. Yes, friendships are good. We want everyone to have close friendships. A place to stay is really good. Eating really good food is really nice. But at the end of the day, Christian hospitality is different because we know what people need the most is Jesus Christ. Before we talk about how to practice it, let's talk about why we neglect it. The author says, do not neglect hospitality. And I think maybe the biggest reason why is this, the sin of partiality, why we neglect hospitality. What is the sin of partiality? In simple terms, it's simply discrimination, and the sin of partiality has been the reason for some of the most deplorable acts and horrific wars and legislation all throughout history. Think about the slave trade, the Jim Crow laws, the Holocaust, the killing fields. The root of all of that is the sin of partiality, discrimination, a spirit of superiority, them versus us, and looking down on others. I am better than, than they are. And there are other words that we can put to this spirit of superiority and sin of partiality, racism, sexism, ageism, ableism. And those are unlawful forms of discrimination in the workplace. But we know as believers, inhospitality is not illegal or unlawful in this country. But according to God, It is wrong and sinful. When there's a command in Scripture and we don't obey, we call that sin. And the other here is saying, do not neglect to show hospitality. It will not land you in jail. And maybe you think there are bigger fish to fry. Aren't there bigger sins to deal with? But I hope that we'll see today that this really shows us how well we understand the gospel. I think it really shows us how much we understand we have been accepted by God. The sin of partiality, it's safe to say that it's something we all struggle with. I don't know anyone who is perfectly impartial. From a very early age, we learn from childhood, cool versus uncool. We didn't have to be taught that. We just picked it up. Those kids are cool for whatever reason. Because of their clothes, their shoes, what they have, the car that their parents drive. And we want that. We want to be around them. We see the benefits of being in the cool crowd. And then we also see kids, for whatever reason, we know from a very early age, it's just not cool. And we don't want to be around them. Being around them does not benefit us. And this is something we learn as kids, but it's not something we unlearn as adults. Maybe we won't use those terms, cool or uncool. Maybe we will, actually. But we still view people as, yeah, those are the cool people and they're uncool. I'd rather be around them I would prefer not to be around those people. Being around these people benefit me. Being around those people does not benefit me. And we're part of a society that rubs off on us. We buy into their value system. And the same thing was happening to the believers in the book of Hebrews. And it wasn't that when the author says, do not neglect to show hospitality, it wasn't that they weren't having friends over or family members over. It wasn't that they weren't hanging out with the people that they like and that they know it's that the people they were choosing to spend time with and hang out with and show hospitality to was more aligned with the Roman framework rather than the gospel biblical framework of hospitality. As I mentioned earlier, this biblical hospitality, phy- phyloxenia, it was a universal welcoming of strangers, providing for them, feeding them, caring for them, all at your expense. But I was researching this, and this all began to change when in the Roman Empire, this universal offer, this Philozenia, began to decay in the Roman times when these believers were living. They were becoming more selective in who they were going to be hospitable to. Many scholars attribute this to the rise of the Roman patronage system, which basically meant this. I'm only going to associate with you, be affiliated with you, hang out with you because I believe I benefit from this. And if I don't believe I benefit in any way socially, materialistically, politically, then I'm not going to spend any time with you. Which means that this was no longer a virtuous system based on generosity. It was based now on reciprocity. Meaning, it was all about, will this person reciprocate? If not, then I am not interested in being associated with them. The heart of Xenia was being lost during the Roman times. During this exact period that the book of Hebrews was written, they were beginning to view people through this cost-benefit grid and framework. In other words, they were just simply asking, is it worth it? Is it worth it socially, politically, materialistically? And a lot of times they would say, no, it's just not worth it, so I won't. And the author of Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality. They were losing touch with what God had in mind. They were losing touch with what the gospel taught and represented And the author saw this. They were buying into the Roman patronage system. Now, we don't have an American patronage system. No one ever called that that. But isn't that principle very much still alive today? Cost benefit, is it worth it? I don't benefit from this person, so I won't hang out with them. But I really benefit socially from hanging out with these people, so I'll spend more time with them. It was the heart or the sin of partiality. That was a big reason why people were not spending certain time with other people. When Jesus ministered, and he ministered in these Roman times, in his preaching and in his ministry, he spoke directly against, and he undermined this Roman patronage system. Now that you have the context of that, let's read here what Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? By mentioning Gentiles, what Jesus is saying, everyone everywhere does this. That was a Gentile, all the other nations. By mentioning tax collectors, Jesus is saying, the worst. Think about the worst person you know. The most sinful person you know, that was tax, tax collectors back then. Jesus saying, even the tax collectors do this. What is Jesus' point? You don't need a heart regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You don't need to know the love of God. You don't need to know his forgiveness and acceptance and his mercy and his grace. You don't need to know Jesus who died on the cross for you and rose from the dead so that you can have life everlasting. In other words, You don't need to be a Christian to hang out out with the people you like, to always say hi to the same people, to ignore those people, to avoid those people. You don't need to be a Christian. Everyone does this. Tax collectors and Gentiles. This rocked the boat. This is why it was such a big deal when Jesus would dine with tax collectors and sinners. One scholar said that Jesus got himself killed because of who he ate with. It was revolutionary. Jesus defied the Roman patronage system of reciprocity. This is best illustrated In the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14, let's read this together. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the exact opposite of the principle of reciprocity in the patronage system. Such teaching was so countercultural, counterintuitive, and that is what the gospel does. This, what Jesus is teaching here, this is gospel economics 101. This is gospel sociology 101. It's not what you expect. Jesus is saying, You will be repaid later in a greater, far greater way. You are more blessed, actually. And when Romans would see this or hear this, they would say, that's absolute ludicrous. That makes no sense. Why would I want to do that? Believers, Jesus is saying, no, you are far more blessed so you think you're blessed by hanging out with these people or always being hospitable with those, and you think you're more blessed by avoiding those people. Jesus is saying, no, you're, you're not actually very blessed at all. For one, the gospel has yet to really sink deeply into your heart. So you have yet to know the true blessing of knowing the acceptance and grace of God. And Jesus is also saying there's, there's great blessing in reaching out to them when you stand before God in heaven, when we all give an account of our lives you will be repaid then. I do believe the Bible teaches that there are rewards in heaven based on our works. Now, our works aren't what get us into heaven, but I do believe our works determine what we get in heaven. And Jesus is saying here, how we live our life, we will all be repaid for everything, especially how hospitable we are. How we spend our time and who we spend that time with. But the sin of partiality, a spirit of superiority, that will certainly interrupt Philozenia. Another reason why is just selfishness, sin of partiality and selfishness. We can be so wrapped up in our own lives, so self-focused that we're not thinking about the people around us. The Apostle John actually wrote a letter just about this. It's called Third John. It's a very short letter. And the Apostle John is calling out a guy named Diotrephes, and he says this, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And speaking about Diotrephes, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. He wrote a letter just because there was this guy, Diotrephes, who was not being hospitable, who was being very selective, and he liked to put himself first. He was just selfish, self-focused only cared about his life, his comfort, whatever made him happy. And the Bible doesn't say, oh, that's just unkind, or that's not being very nice. No, the Bible calls that evil. That's evil. And that's how much God cares about how we express gospel through hospitality. Another reason is poor stewardship. Sometimes we just forget everything we have, including our lives, our homes, our time, our energy, our money, it all belongs to God. We are stewards and we are not owners. And we will give an account of how we spend all of this. And everything we've been given is a blessing from God. And God wants us to bless others with what we have been given. And I think at times we need to review our view of our lives and what we have and to leverage it to bless others. This is why the author of Hebrews in the previous chapter, he, he has to remind them, be grateful. Why? Because you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Why does he tell them that? He knows that at times we can hold our things so tightly and closely and think that this is our reward. This is everything. But you might know you have already received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You already have all of the spiritual riches in Christ Jesus. There's no reason why you got to hold on to your stuff here so tightly. Only when we understand what we already have in Christ can we just loosen our grip and begin spending that. And using that on others. Lastly, one other reason why we struggle to be hospitable. Is an idol a comfort? We just lo- we we love our comfort. I love my comfort. We all love to be comfortable. Everyone naturally goes to their comfort zone. One simple example of that is after service, just watch where everyone goes. Where does everyone go? Where they're comfortable. That's not bad. It's good for you to catch up with people we want you to. Of course, that's a great thing. But everyone goes where they're comfortable. For some, it's heading straight to the parking lot. For others, it's heading over to the fellowship area. It's heading to by the tree, or by the classroom, by the coffee. You know, everyone has that place where they're comfortable. And we always naturally do this. But when we're so comfortable, or we, we, we can become so cemented in our comfort zones to the point we're almost idolizing it. And that's when it becomes a hindrance to ho- hospitality. So those are some reasons why we neglect it. Let's get into why we shouldn't neglect it. The first reason is this. This is the main motivator. It's a picture of the gospel. Hospitality, phyloxenia. As believers, as the church, we want as many people to know Jesus as possible. We want as many people to know the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. We want people to know what Jesus has done on the cross and in the resurrection, that there is the greatest possible joy that they could ever experience in hope and peace in Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we show this is through our hospitality In the gospel, there is acceptance. Imagine if God only loved those or only reached out to those based on the Roman patronage system. How many of us, how many people would ever become a Christian? How many people would end up in heaven? Zero. How does a holy, infinite, righteous, pure God Benefit from associating, affiliating with, reaching out to, touching sinful people. What does God get out of that? Nothing. So why would he? Why should he? Thank God that he does not base our relationship with him in the gospel and salvation on the Roman patronage system, on a system of reciprocity. What is it that we are giving back to God that He needs, who is already self sufficient? He doesn't need anything from us. The gospel teaches us it is, friends, the grace of God God's free gift. That he would reach out to us, send his only son to be nailed to a cross. To die for our sins, which was getting in the way of our relationship with him. That Jesus would pay the full price. And it was very expensive. That we might belong to his family. That we might be welcomed into the Father's house. That we might spend how long? Eternity with him. Eternity with him. Hospitality, this kind of hospitality is a beautiful picture of the gospel. A lot of people, they know what the gospel is, but they struggle to embrace it and believe it because it's hard for them to experience it and they never have. What we can do as a church is help people experience that and feel it. Not perfectly, we're not God, but to a smaller degree and yet still powerful way, we can help people experience that. The gospel requires sacrifice when we show hospitality. In this way, we are sacrificing. In the same way that Jesus has sacrificed for us, Paul writes that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that we in our poverty might become rich. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so the Bible teaches us Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Paul writes that in Romans. Welcome one another, not as other people have welcomed you, not as you want to welcome other people, but as Christ has welcomed you. That acceptance, that sacrifice. I was at a conference a few years ago, and one family, they shared their testimony. It was actually a testimony about hospitality These parents, they had a couple special needs children and they were at a new church and it was really hard for them to get plugged in. It was hard for them to connect with other members, but they really wanted to. And then one day, another member had invited them over to their house and they were really excited because they don't get to do this very often. But they were also very anxious at the same time because they wanted things to go really well so that they can continue hanging out and hopefully build a relationship. They didn't want anything to go wrong but they knew that, you know, being a special needs family, anything could go wrong anytime. So they're over at the house, and it, one of their kids ends up clogging the toilet and actually causing some piping damage. And they thought, oh, man, this is it. It's over. That was our one chance to connect with the church, to get to know another family. What are we going to do? To their surprise, they were invited back the next week. They were invited back. And they were so moved by that. They couldn't imagine why anyone would invite them back. The cost of the repairs, just the crazy, hectic night. And for them, that was a beautiful picture of the gospel. There's acceptance, there's sacrifice, it's costly. For that that family, it, it meant the world to them. One New Testament scholar, he says that hospitality, biblical philozenia, is the most concrete expression of Christian love. By concrete, he means tangible. There are expressions of Christian love. You can pray for people. You can donate online. But in terms of concrete, like people actually feeling the gospel, hospitality. Face-to-face. Putting in the time, the love, the welcoming, the acceptance, the price. Not only is it a picture of the gospel, it's a picture of the church. In verse 3 that we read, the author says, not only do not neglect hospitality, but remember those who are in prison. Why does he have to say that? Because they were ashamed of being affiliated with those who are in prison. Roman system was all about status and those who were in prison were at the bottom of the rungs. And if you knew people who were in prison and associate with people in, in prison, it would bring down your social status, your standing, and they didn't want that. So why does the author have to say and what is his reason he says this? You're of the same body. You're the same body. Those are Christians who are in prison. You're not better than them, nor are you worse than them. You're both part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. What is there to be ashamed about? And so it wasn't just about having pity on people. Please do not extend hospitality out of pity or prison ministry out of pity. No, the author gives us the reason. It's not pity. You're part of the same body. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is the head. You have equal standing before God the Father. You are precious in his sight. View each other that way, whether you're in prison or you're politically elite or socially elite. It's a picture of the church when we show hospitality to everyone in the church. Jesus chose to associate with us. May I remind you, Jesus is not ashamed to call you friend. He's not. To dine with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus will call you friend. Those who are not popular, people who have addictions, people who have been abused, people who have been to jail, people who struggle with same sex attractions, Jesus calls you friend. He's not ashamed to know you and to be near you, to save you, to die for you. Hospitality is this beautiful picture of the church. When it's practiced in this way, it's powerful. There's a coffee shop I like to frequent in Yorba Linda. For me, it's like the perfect coffee shop. I like it a lot. It has really good lighting, lighting, large windows, there's always a place to do work, great Wi-Fi, big tables, and of course, yeah, good coffee. So I'll go there pretty often. But there are times where I can't stand to be there very long, and I need to relocate. You may think, why? You you just listed off, like, the best things about any coffee shop. It's because they crank up the AC so much, it's... Like torturous, that to I actually be there for like close to an hour. And as much as I love everything else, I just find myself packing my bags and I have to leave. I think a lot of people feel that way about church. It takes so many boxes the praise, the preaching, the programs, the doctrine. If doctrine is the foundation of the church, the vision is the direction of the church, hospitality is the temperature of the church. They may love everything about the church, but if it's just so cold, they're not going to stay. You can't stay. I can't bear to stay in that coffee shop, and a lot of people its like, oh, I want to stay, but I can't bear to stay. It's really hard to stay. Friends, this is a challenge for our church. CCSC: The onus especially is on the members of this church, those who have committed here. One Christian author, Rebecca Van Dudewar, she says this: "The strongest congregations I have been a part of, nine in eight different states, have been the ones that are devoted to hospitality." I agree with that. She's been to a lot of different churches, in a lot of different states, and she concludes. The strongest ones are the ones who are devoted to hospitality. She doesn't say devoted to doctrine. She says hospitality. Not that doctrine is unimportant, but we read in, in books like Revelation chapter 2 that churches can be so doctrinally sound and yet lose their love. And Jesus rebukes the church in Ephesus. I'm not saying that's the case here. At least personally, I've experienced amazing hospitality when I first came here about three years ago, and I still do, and it's awesome, and I appreciate it. But this is just something we could always be reminded of. It is an expression of the gospel. It's the most practical, concrete way we can welcome people into the body of Christ. It's also evangelistic. In these biblical times, the gospel spread so rapidly. But where did it spread? How did it spread so rapidly? It didn't just spread among the same social class. If it did, that means they were not practicing hospitality. But the gospel was spreading in every social class. How is that possible? Because they crossed those lines. They crossed those boundaries. They were reaching out to everyone. Men, women, children. Rich, poor. Poor. And the gospel was spreading so rapidly. But if, we get, if we're inhospitable, then the gospel will only spread again certain age groups, certain races, certain demographics. But this philozenia, one author says, it's a secret weapon for gospel advancement that it'll spread across all classes, all races, all people groups. It's a powerful tool of evangelism. It's also a mark of true faith and spiritual maturity. One author says that the best hostesses that she knows are some of the most ma- cr- mature Christians that she knows. And there's no coincidence there. This is a reason why the qual- one of the qualifications for elders in the church is that they be hospitable. It is actually a sign of spiritual maturity, And Jesus actually uses it as a litmus test in the final judgment. Think about it. When we all stand before Jesus, what do you think the litmus test is? How is he going to determine whether or not we have true faith that is bearing fruit? On the last day, in the final judgment, Jesus uses hospitality as the litmus test. Let's read here, Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus says, you're welcome to the Father's house. I know you are saved because of the way you have lived out hospitality in your life. Jesus also takes this very personally. The author mentioned something very interesting he says do not neglect to show hospitality because some of you have entertained angels unawares is the author saying oh we should show hospitality people because we don't know if they might actually be an angel unlikely i think the point that the author is making he's referencing the story of abraham where abraham showed hospitality to three men who turned out to be angels but the point is this Hospitality is a much bigger deal than you think it is. That's his point. It's a much bigger deal than you think it is, and Jesus takes it very personally. Let's read here in Matthew 25 again. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus takes it so personally. Let's close here now with just some practical ways we can be hospitable. First is this, is to focus on welcoming and not on wowing. It's not about impressing. It's about people. It's about being warm And welcoming and engaging your guests. I was over at one couple's house a few weeks ago. They have two kids under the age of four. And yeah, it's crazy. Their kids are up, they're parenting, they're refereeing, they're cooking, they're preparing. Um, And yet, I don't know if this couple was aware of it, that they're just really good at this, always engaging me. I don't know how they did it, Um, always making me feel welcome. Uh, Never, even though they were dealing with so many other things, putting the kids down, uh, they did an amazing job. And I just want to say as well, it's really good. Don't, Don't feel like things have to be perfect, conditions have to be perfect. Singles, young married couples, they need to see what life is like. Marriage dynamics, parenting dynamics. It's healthy and it's good for them and that is the church. Another practical thing is to team up with others. If you're married, especially, make sure you're teaming up with your spouse. It's too hard for one spouse to carry the hospitality load. You got to be in this together. And you can team up with other singles, other families, other couples to to strategize. Say, hey, who can we welcome? Let's do this together. And it's typically more fun when you do it together. Make a plan Set aside a day of the week, a day of the month to invite people over. Make a list prayerfully. Who can we react to? Keep your eyes open. Who's lonely? Who's going through a hard time? Who could use some care and some love and some help? Pray that God would open your eyes. Take advantage of special events. Of course, your birthday, Super Bowl, season, like holidays. And one suggestion is your kids' birthdays. When your kid's birthday is coming up, ask your kid, hey, who can we invite that you don't know? What a great gospel teaching opportunity. And they may wonder, like, why would I do that? Let's welcome them. Let's make new friends. Let's invite them over. And after service, keep an eye out on the welcoming table. Don't be creepy but keep an eye out on the welcoming table under the white canopy. If you see a a visitor there, maybe you'll choose to go over, introduce yourself, invite them out to lunch. These are very practical things we can do. And as we transition now, and I think this is a perfect day to celebrate the Lord's Supper, here in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the acceptance and sacrifice that we have in Christ Jesus. This is the best way, I believe, to conclude this worship service. This sermon, that our reason, motivation is because of what we have received first—the reception that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we are about to partake in the Lord's Supper, I remind us of the acceptance and reception that we have, the welcoming that we have because of Jesus Christ. Father God, we lay our lives down before you. We give you our homes, our energy, our money. Use us to concretely express the gospel through biblical hospitality. God, that we would see this church growing in diversity, reaching more people than we could ever imagine, and seeing people coming to know Christ in a more real, deep way. I pray this in Jesus' name.